I'd like to summarize a short story for you uh, before we get into the text. There's this man who is a descendant of Abraham, who, because of opposition from his kin, goes to a, a remote place on a mission. He finds himself at a well in the heat of the day. And this man is united with a woman who's not of the seed of Abraham, a direct descendant of him. And after their interaction, she goes away and shares good news. We're going to see a little bit of that played out in this as we go. But as we read through this again, some of the things that we are looking at are chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Seeing if we can find connections as we're reading through through this. Okay? Uh, Bob. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptized, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living, living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, the hour is now here. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I am speaking to you in thee. All right. So we see uh, verses 1 through um, about 6. We see sort of the setting of this story. Uh, The Lord Jesus recognizes that the Pharisees are starting to take interest in him. Um, They had previously been paying attention to John. And John said, it's not about me. So they're finally getting the point and starting to take more interest in in Jesus, so he he leaves that area and uh, goes to Galilee, and it says he needed to go through Samaria. Is there anything that sort of stands out to you through verses one through six? Okay, so it's not just Jesus baptizing. Uh, we see in verse 2, it's his disciples also baptizing. Uh, it's this act, this purification, this submission that we, we see being demonstrated by John the Baptist. And now we see Jesus and his disciples. Um, it's not... Of the utmost importance that Jesus is doing the baptism himself, but it's that his followers continue doing that. It's a good point. Yes, sir. I think that's a that's a good point. With whenever we look at First Corinthians chapter one, verses fourteen through seventeen, Paul did it a little bit. Right. Um, in chapter three, verse uh, twenty-two, it does ref- uh, it does seem to portray that Jesus does go into the region, um, making disciples. Uh, and, but it looks like he's not the only one who's doing this. It's it's a ever increasing trend, if you will. Um, <clears throat> Something that stood out to me is in verse 4, short verse, but he needed to go through Samaria. If you know about the geography as well as the culture of that time, there were plenty of routes that went around Samaria, and most devout Jews opted to avoid going through Samaria. The Samaritans uh, were not complete uh, full-blood Jews. They were not complete full-blood Gentiles. They were sort of uh, interracial in that in that sense. But Jesus chooses not to go around. But he has an appointment that he that he's really the only one who knows of this appointment. And so he has this plan to go there, uh, though his his followers may not fully understand that. Uh, and so we see where he goes, he goes to Sychar, um, and there is this well, we see that Jacob has a well built in, in Genesis chapter 33, uh, as he's settling, uh, his area around in, 
in the land of Canaan. Uh, but uh, as he's getting there, we see that it's the middle of the day, it's the sixth hour, and Jesus is wearied from his journey. I don't know about you, but that points to his humanity, if anything, that he is, like you and me, that gets hot, gets tired. Yes, Mitch. That's, that's a good point that it doesn't specifically perhaps uh, say, say those words, but he, ha- he has his eyes open to opportunities, uh, and he's not going to stay in one place. We see in some of the other Gospels that uh, people are searching for Jesus, and Jesus says, let's go somewhere else. Let's go to a different town, because uh, he, is, he is not here for just one group of people. He's not for one town. He is for everybody. So he, he is on the move and has eyes for opportunity. Yes, Bob? One commentator that I read points out that in these first chapters of John, in every chapter, uh, John points out the uh, lack of spiritual condition of Israel, uh, failures in their spiritual condition. Uh, the first chapter, sort of blind priesthood. Uh, the second, a joyless nation. The third, a desecrated temple. The fourth, a spiritually dead Sanhedrin. Fifth, the person of Christ despised and his testimony rejected. And now we are shown the heartless indifference of Israel toward their semi-heathen neighbors. One of the things that Israel was to do was what? Bring the nations around them to God. Well, here's a nation that God is close as you can get. They're out there. And yet they avoid them like the flood. And, and so again, we're saying what you know, Israel has just failed time and time again of being what they ought to be. And so that's a very important point that we see that Jesus highlights. Uh, the spiritual blindness, as it, as it were. And whenever he, ma- he has these spiritual truths and these points that he's trying to make, a lot of people aren't going to be ma- uh, getting it. And so that's a, that's a valid point. Let's now start looking at the interaction uh, between uh, this woman of Samaria and, and the Lord Jesus. Uh, verses 7 uh, through the through the end of our reading, verse twenty six uh, has this going back and forth. But let's sort of go uh, bit by bit. Say um, ver- yes, Chris. There's one other real important point in this that we missed, and that's the uh, field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
There's got to be something important there, but I don't have any idea what it is. <laughs> that, that. It's funny, that, why would he mention that? It's like it's near that field. Oh, I think I think is it's in a land where they can't even go. The Jews don't even go into this, and this is Jacob's well, and it was this field that, that Jacob gave to Joseph, and that's where his bones were buried, and... There ends up being some territorial tension right. as, as there that you know, like why does he put that in there? Is there? I don't, I don't know. It just seems like there's got to be something to that. Maybe. Somebody... I. I've... Yes. Um, right. So I had a thought, maybe along those lines, down um, in verse uh, twelve. Are you greater than our father Jacob? For two people, two uh, groups, two nations, or whatever you want to call them, two groups of people to be so opposed and so uh, far away from each other, they have a common ancestor, and the well here is screaming, you guys are brothers and sisters, not only in, in humanity, but you have a common ancestor. Our father Jacob... And that's Jesus' father. That's her father as well. Um, so I, I don't know if, if that is the significance necessarily, but that stood out to me. And maybe I don't know if that's connected because, um, again, for the Israelites to be so um, down on the Samaritans, uh, they're pretty closely related. Okay. Good. Uh, Luke. with the historical background of this of this plot of land this well um, that that Jacob handed down to, to his son Joseph and then we're going to see a connection between uh, this claim in verse 12 or this question that the woman asks if, if she if he thinks he's greater than our father Jacob there are a couple of stories about Jacob and wells. There's multiple wells in the life of Jacob. And I referenced Genesis 33, but in Genesis 29, verses 1 through 11, we see Jacob at a well in the heat of the day, on the run from kin who, who oppose him, and he is on a mission to find a wife. And he's united with this Gentile woman who whenever they reunite, uh, his, uh, this woman goes and tells her father, my kin has come. And we see this union between uh, Jacob and Rachel. And so I, sort, I do see a connection as Jesus mirroring the... The union of Jacob and Rachel. So, uh, 
Perhaps there is something to that with the tension there between, as we've already talked about, that uh, they ought to consider themselves as being united, that they, that the Jews were called to be a blessing to the nations, that they were to draw the attention of, of their neighbors to, to Yahweh. And so, uh, we see in verses seven through nine, uh, that Jesus asks this woman for a drink, um, despite the fact that she's a, a woman that's not his wife, a complete stranger, and a Samaritan. Like, it's checking all the boxes of people you are not supposed to talk to, apparently, according to the social norms. Uh, and, and her response uh, is... And you must have missed a memo that uh, we're not supposed to be talking. This is just not how things how things are to be done. Uh, what else stands out to you in in the conversation? Yes. I thought it was interesting that it said his disciples had gone into the city to buy food, and I wondered. Yeah, um, it says in in verse uh, eight, his disciples had gone away into the city uh, to buy food, and we'll see them come back in verse twenty seven, and sort of the interaction that goes there, uh, whether he they were directly sent or they're like. Man, we, we need to be, we need to get some food. We're going to starve. We've been on this uh, journey for quite some time. Here's a nearby town in Sychar. Let's, let's go into town. Jesus opts to not go into town. So, yeah, what, what else? I wonder if question was the tone of that. You know, how is it that you as you asked me for a drink? Was she, you know, shying away, or was she saying, oh, sure, you won't speak to us unless you, until you need something? You know, what is, what was her, you know, I don't know how that went. And then his answer may have been the latter. You know, <coughs> who he was speaking to you, then, you know, it would change your attitude a little bit. Yeah, whether, whether it's a tone of curiosity, a tone of skepticism, of what, how, how is this, uh, interaction sort of unfolding. His answer, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's sort of a puzzling response. Like, why would he ask for water if he's going to have this kind of response? Or, uh, it, to an extent, I don't know if it's a direct answer to the question and that's how that's that's jesus's mo that he does not always answer people's direct questions or or even answer in the way that he that they anticipate that moon roy meeting his physical needs 
Very, very good. A, a, B, we see the blend of spiritual priority with his humanity there. What? You mentioned earlier that he's talking about his humanity. But verse 10 says, if you ask God, he will give to you this gift. But then in verse 14, he says, he will give to that I give. He's claiming to be dead. Very good. Uh, yeah, we see. Uh, Verse 10, the gift of God. And we'll see in verse 14, the water I give. This this connection, claiming to be God, claiming to be equal with God. Um, so, very good. Bobby. I, I heard one time uh, in the past about an individual was talking about Jesus' evangelistic skill. Uh, knowing just what to say and just how to say it, and uh, he referred to this as God, his Jesus's ability to, with every word, pique her curiosity about him. He was an enigma to her from the get-go, and uh, as he would be to all of us. And uh, he he just constantly plucked her heartstrings. Uh, she she couldn't not talk to him. Okay. Uh, and there was this social, the social barrier that would have probably normally made her just turn away from him, but uh, uh, he didn't really intend. So, so yeah. I think uh, people's hearts strings plucked when we talked to them about God, because that's what he was doing with her. He was telling her things that she uh, that would speak to her in a spiritual way. He is the. He is a master teacher. He is a rabbi of rabbis in, in, in all sense of the term. That he, I, I teach for a living. And a good teacher is not somebody who just lectures or just gives information for people to digest. A good teacher is a guide. And we see that in... Uh, uh, in this, that he is guiding her so that she will come to the proper conclusion. And whenever the conversation goes in one direction, he's able to guide it in, in the way that it ought to go. Um, and also one thing that is important for us to know, he knows exactly what to say. It's not this one pamphlet that he has that he's going to give to every single person. It's going to be the same thing, that same sermon that he's giving to every single person. So, uh, very good. Uh, so we're, we're uh, going through in, in verse 11, how uh, you have nothing to draw with, the well's deep. We've already talked about, we, we have as much a right to this well as anybody. We have our father, Jacob, connecting the, the lineage there. And... Uh, he doesn't say, yes, I'm better than Jacob, but he does answer it in a way uh, with this comparison and, and this contrast that, you know, anybody who drinks from here, going to be thirsty again. But what I give, uh, again, uh, the, the deity there, a uh, couple of things about it. First off, they'll never thirst again. 
And it also says, I shall give uh, the water I give him will become a fountain of water within that person uh, springing up into eternal life. Eternal life, again, is a is a motif that's woven through John. We saw that already in his interaction with Nicodemus. Uh, and so uh, thoughts and comments through through that. Yes, Mitch. Talking about that life in chapter 20, verse 31, we see that being pulled in so that we can see that. Very good. Extra credit for Mitch. Good. Uh, what else? Yes, Bob. Good, this sharing, this communion, Bob. Very good. The, just the intrigue of the conversation that, that uh, we see uh, being brought up, that the conversation is growing and growing. We see uh, that, that she is getting more inter- interested. Uh, so, very good. Yes. Messiah is supposed to come. So she's starting to think this is who this is. 
or it's a very real possibility that it is a inheritance from Jacob, which Jesus did come through his line. He is in the line of Jacob. And so I think there's more to it because she says, I know the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. So it's like, could this be him? Because he's talking differently and offering much different things than what the Jews or the Gentiles have ever being exposed to. That's, a, that's an interesting point that, that of everything that he is offering or that he has with him. Um, at this point, she's not necessarily fully getting everything that he's trying to drop the breadcrumbs. She's getting interested, but not fully getting it. Um, similar to Nicodemus. He wasn't quite fully grasping everything. Uh, a little bit of that spiritual blindness that we referred to earlier. Um, before we move on from, from verse 14, I'm not going to get into a full lesson on this. We could, we could take a deep dive on this, but, uh, we see the many scriptures in the Old Testament referring to the, the gift of the Holy Spirit as depicted as living water. We see uh, living water as a motif in another book of John in Revelation. We see this living water that's going to give life that is in Jesus, that is in the Spirit. And so, and it's, and it's in through a lot of the other prophets. Now, the Samaritans, uh, they didn't, they were from the line of Jacob, but they really held to just the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't have all of the rest of the history. They didn't have all of the prophets that, uh, and their books and read from them. But they still had ideas and understandings of, of a, at least a prophet like Moses that would come, that would, uh, that would share all these things. We'll get into that in a little bit. And then we have, uh, in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, not come to draw. Hey, this woman, the reason she's here in the heat of the day, we're going to find out, is she's a social outcast that doesn't get to socialize with the rest of the women. And she's really here by, by herself. And she says, hey, this will be a convenience for me. I, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to have this, uh, this difficulty. It's really out of, out of a mind of convenience that she wants this. And so she says, sir, give me this water. We're going to see in chapter 6. After the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus talks about this, this living bread this, this, that they're never going to hunger again. And they're going to say the same thing. Sir, give us this bread always. And so uh, sort of missing, missing these cues. And so we see this sharp turn in verse 15. This probably fell like a ton of bricks. Sir, give me this water. I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. She stops dead in her tracks and says, I don't have a husband. What do you take of what's going on here in the, in the conversation? Yes, Chris. I think if somebody walked in here and said, hey, I've got this food that I'll give you, you'll never have to eat again, what would be our reaction to that? It'd be like, yeah, right. 
what do you think this, I, I mean, I just see this woman's reaction the same way. Oh, I, all the way up until this point, she's like, yeah, you don't want anything to do with us unless you need something, and who are you? You don't even have a bucket. Where are you going to get the water? Oh, yeah, give me some of this living water thing that I don't need, so I'm going to have to come out here and draw water. Then Jesus changes the topic so that she sees that he has the authority over things that he's been saying. Up until this point, I would call her a skeptic. <laughs> and, I mean, rightfully so. I wouldn't believe someone that walked in and started saying things like this. So he has to do something to show that he has that authority. So far, he's done nothing. And that's where he changes his conversation. He's like, all right, go call your husband. And she goes like, I don't have a husband. And then he, then he explains to her that he knows the exact details. He's like, uh, okay, maybe you're a prophet. And that's where we go from there. And that's a good point that uh, he shows his authority uh, that he, ha- he can do what he claims to be able to provide. Uh, that it's not just uh, blank uh, claims there. Yes, Roy? I think he bathed her to see if she would tell the truth of her situation. Very good. Uh, just sort of, again, lead, leading her, baiting. He's not tricking her into this. He, he is really, when it comes down to it, he is showing her that this intrigue is really demonstrating her spiritual thirst. She is thirsty spiritually, then she, and she doesn't really realize that. She doesn't realize that she's been starving herself and dying spiritually. And he is, he is showing that through his authority, through, through, this, through this statement. Um, whenever we come face to face with our sins, we find out, and we're, and we're called out on it, we really see our, our need for, for that spiritual water. Yeah, very good. We're gonna we're gonna see the the reaction. How it again? The conversation keeps taking a lot of different turns uh, in here. Um, he reveals in verse uh, verse seventeen. You've well said. I have no husband. You've had five husbands. The one you're with is not your husband. In this, you've spoken truly. Uh, yeah, you're you're making a, a, a true statement. You're not, you don't have a, a husband, uh, uh, rightfully. Now, there is maybe some speculation as to whether the failed marriages in the past were her own or, uh, perhaps her husband's. It's not right that she's with some other man at this, at this point, but regardless of, of the, the grounds of these, uh, these marriages being and these separations, there are no winners in divorce, especially for a first century woman. And so he is, 
just adding some context uh, to this. And again, bringing this up and really showing her 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 spiritual thirst. Some people would be like, wait, one thing, you're not supposed to be talking to strange Samaritan women alone, but you're not supposed to talk to people about their sins. You're not. <laughs> isn't that something we're, we're just, we're not supposed to talk about. He, it's a life and death situation here. And she doesn't realize it. And so he is taking this as an opportunity to, uh, to show her her need for, for this water. Bob, did you have another comment? Now, Ryan. thought that he that you think everything's okay you're 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 not there are things that are going to need to change in Very good. We, uh, alluding to verse 29, this man who tells me everything, just filling in those blanks. Yes, boy. Uh, you mentioned this, but you can see that this woman, all of her life, she has been thirsty. I mean, she, she is seeking for fulfillment by all these physical things that she's been doing. Even now, she wants to drink the water, and she is still confused about what Jesus is talking about, about living water. What he wants her to see is that he has the answer to what she's looking for. And uh, it, it is uh, that the living water that he provides will give her, and that she finally, she finally comes to this conclusion. Uh, she, she leaves her water off, and she goes into town to tell people about who she's been talking with. I think, I think that's an important point. She was looking for water in empty wells. And one final thought before we get, uh, start concluding this conversation. What are the empty wells that we're looking for water in? Are we looking for water in our job? Are we looking for water in our family? Are we looking for water in money and in entertainment? There's, wa- there's only one source of water. Think about that as, as, we, as we look for or see ourselves in the situation. Bob and then we're going to start um, moving on. Um, what Nyman was saying 
this conversation where Jesus reveals her life sounds kind of similar to what she did with Andrew and called him an Israelite and Nathaniel. 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 Yeah. That that is what convinced him that this was the Christ. Same mm-hmm. thing. This is convincing her in the same way. Yeah. So we see here uh, in verses 19 and following, she takes another turn. She, she has concluded that he is a prophet. This is a similar uh, conclusion that Nicodemus has. We know that you are a man come from God. Nobody can do the things except that God is is with him. Uh, and so she has this this religion question uh, about where to worship. Uh, whether it's Jerusalem as the Jews do or the Samaritans, they worshipped at Mount Gerizim, which at that point would have been like within eyesight of the well that she could have pointed to a nearby mountain where uh, the place of worship uh, would have would have been um, the reason they do that again they really held to the first five books of of the Old Testament and if you only had that you might have concluded that that would be the place of worship because that was sort of where the uh, that was the place of blessing that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 27 that that's where uh, God was blessing his people so that's where they went to went to worship and Jesus doesn't answer the question again he says believe me woman the woman uh, the hour is coming when it, you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father uh, and what's going to be important is that the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. God's spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Um, before we get, before we have comments on this, one thing that has, that sort of stood out to me as I've been going through this more recently, we often will talk a little bit about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. We, and we also, and we often conclude that that there is a a heart component that we are, that we are devoting our heart and our spirit and our emotion into it, but there is also correctness. There is truth. There is rightness. There is correctness in it. That's really what God has always required of His people. And look at the Old Testament. He want He wanted their hearts and He wanted them to uh, revere Him and and submit to Him and not to themselves. But what it's saying here is an hour is coming when that's not going to matter. That everybody will will worship and it's not uh, going to matter where they worship. You can look at Zephaniah 2. Zephaniah 2 verse 11. There's a reference there that everyone's going to be worshiping in their own place. It's not going to be coming to one particular one temple or one synagogue to to worship. And what's coming, what Jesus is alluding to, what's coming is what is a true worshiper? Jesus is expanding what a true worshiper can be 
up to this point, God had one special group of people. Salvation uh, is of the Jews. And God had this one people that was going to bless everybody. But up to this point, he was, he, was wor- uh, he was worshipped by this one group, but now it's going to be accessible to everybody, including these Samaritans, including, the, including people who are outcasts. And so we see that there are things that are going to be changing through God and through God in the flesh, who is, who is Jesus. And uh, ver- verse 25, we've already talked to talked about. We know the Messiah is coming, and He will tell us all things. Uh, and and Jesus's response is, "I who speak to you am." She's got it. He's brought her to the to that conclusion. We're going to see sort of the the continuation of that uh, in our next lesson. Other things that stand out to you in this. He, he is in, the, in other accounts eating with uh, uh, tax collectors and sinners, and here he is associating with the lowly, with the people who people may not often uh, associate with. Mention Brad. Good. Just that thought of, this is it. This is me. I am it. That's just that awe that could come upon him. Yes. It's not just that he's talking to a Samaritan. He reveals himself as a Messiah to a Samaritan. And it seems like this might be the first time he directly said, I am that guy. I am the Messiah. And to a Samaritan woman. So, uh, he doesn't say those words exactly to Nicodemus. Right. He does not say that to his first disciples or to John, but to the Samaritan woman. Yeah, very good. Um, just the thought that she can be a true worshiper. It reminds me of chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. People like her will now have the right to become a child of God, not born of flesh or of the will of man, of the will of God. And that kind of hope is extended to us as well. And we're going to see the reaction and the aftermath. And we're going to see that that living water spring into eternal life with her. And she's going to be a blessing to other people who are going to be blessings to other people. Who are going to be blessings to other people. So we're going to, we'll wrap up uh, that and then we'll finish chapter 4 in our next class. So... Thank you all for your participation and your comments.